0: Well, hello and welcome to another edition of the e-commerce evolution podcast I'm your host Brett Curry CEO of OMG Commerce and today we have a return guest on the show and we're talking about what's new what's working with Kickstarter launches and also deciding to even want to do a Kickstarter launch because they're not just for people who are brand new or brands that are brand new uh, they can also be effective for brands that are mostly built on Amazon and want to build off of Amazon and so we can talk about lots of strategies and ideas and fun stuff. My guest today is Kirsten Ross, and she is the chief brand builder at Launch and Scale, launchandscale.co. co. Uh, and she's been on the show before. It was so much fun. I had to have her back. It's been like it's been like three years though, right? Kirsten has been three years since we I, chatted last or, on the podcast.
1: I think so. It feels like yesterday, but yeah. I know you're. One of my favorite podcasters, so I'm yeah. very excited for today.
0: Awesome, we'll I appreciate know. that. And we actually got to, so yeah, and the interview was maybe three years ago, but last year we got to hang out IRL, as they say, as the kids like to say, in real life, at CapCon Five. Shout out to Ryan Daniel Moran. Um, so that was that was cool, getting to see each other in person. I but, know. But uh, I mean, a lot has changed. A lot has changed since that first interview, and what works and what doesn't on on Kickstarter. But you want to kind of give a quick update like what what's shifted what's changed what's working or not working on Kickstarter today compared to in the past
1: man I mean everything and nothing is yeah. the same yes <laughs> like I remember you know if you're watching this and you have heard me talk about Kickstarter in the past you'll know I was like everyone should do Kickstarter and that I think was like 2019 2020 um, and now that we're recording this in 2023, um, I've actually gone public to say that most people shouldn't be using Kickstarter. And I think that's a good follow-up. It's bold to
0: say when like you built your, I know you guys do a lot more than Kickstarter now, but you gotta kind of build your agency on Kickstarter. So that's a pretty bold thing for you to state.
1: Yeah, but like, I guess the reason I did that was because I got to a point, I think it was like November 2022 or 21, that I went public on my birthday to say I'm leaving Kickstarter. And that doesn't mean I don't do Kickstarter campaigns, but it was a bold statement because I felt that for the last few months, um, we kept launching products based on the Kickstarter success formula, products that should have worked. And late in 2020, 2021, we weren't seeing the kind of success with our students that we should have been seeing. We would be building the audience the way that you're supposed to. We would be doing engagement campaigns. We would be making sure they were like great products and like. Kickstarter campaigns for new brands started to not do as well as they used to. And that started me asking the question of like, is it me? Is it us? Or has something changed in the market? So I ended up going public because I discovered that um, as Kickstarter has evolved over time, it's gone through, through some like astronomical changes in how it's originally supposed to be used. And Kickstarter, for those that aren't familiar with it, it's the world's largest crowdfunding platform. And crowdfunding on Kickstarter means that you have uh, brands, like new sellers or existing brands, that want to use Kickstarter as a platform to launch new products and get pre-order sales from backers or you know Kickstarter audience. Um, Kickstarter has become one of the prime methods of funding new products because it gives you a chance to get your inventory paid for without having to fund it yourself, which is like that right there, sign me up, right? Yeah, but...
0: and it's this weird dynamic too. And I know I've got lots of friends that have done this where, yeah. you know, successful brand, you know, but they're launching a new product, takes quite a bit of capital to launch certain new products. And so they launch on Kickstarter, they get this, this, uh, you know, pre all these pre-buys and now you can fund yeah. the development and whatnot. And for whatever reason, uh, people love the idea of funding a Kickstarter, or some people do. Way more than like doing a pre-buy on other websites. Or I know it depends. Yeah. We'll talk about kind of the nuances there. But yeah, yeah. in some respects, people are more willing to do that pre-buy on Kickstarter than elsewhere, you know, depending on a few factors.
1: Well, what's interesting is that Kickstarter campaigns have new products that aren't available anywhere else. So the difference with, like, the Kickstarter traffic that you're getting is you have all these early adopters that are, like, perusing the website for really cool, innovative things that are not available anywhere else. And they're willing to take that chance, even though there's a risk they may not get their product for a couple of years. There's just something about being a Kickstarter backer and helping fund someone's dream yeah. and you feel
0: like you're an investor right you're committing yeah. you're you're buying something because you believe in it and you almost feel like you're an investor and yeah you don't you don't want it tomorrow or anything you're uh, yeah. you're part of something bigger and something cool
1: but there there's just something special about that and so you know kickstarter is a really fun platform you get high off the success of kickstarter campaigns and doing it but What has happened with Kickstarter, because it's such an attractive model for small businesses, for financing without trading equity, is that it became this really, really oversaturated platform. And so you get to the point where with Kickstarter, there's so much attention for new products, for eyes, for launches, that your product starts to get buried on their platform. And when you look at the strategy behind how to win on Kickstarter, You need to have the algorithm um, kind of pick up your project as a popular project and start to show you to more people. So if you're a Reddit user, it's kind of like getting upvoted so that your your post doesn't get buried in hundreds of other ones that will never get seen but like be one of the top ones. It's the same sort of thing with Kickstarter. So when you look at the strategy that goes into setting yourself up for success, you need to have a pre-launch, which means you need to go in with an email list full of people ready to buy your product so that when you go live on Kickstarter you have a really strong day one and then Kickstarter's algorithm is going to be like "Ooh, that's a popular project we should show this to more people and then that's when you start to get traction and go viral but the problem is when you have a platform that has become oversaturated become so competitive it means that what you as a creator have to put into your launch goes a lot higher it means that the um, the five.
0: Entry is is Le- much higher, right? Like you you you're competing in the in the yeah. big leagues, is like professional stuff now.
1: So layman's terms, more competition, way more expensive to get started. Yep. Yep. Way more expensive to get started. Suddenly you're risking capital for inventory, and it means the price to play may not actually be worth it because a lot of campaigns end up leaving Kickstarter, not able to buy their own inventory. Which is like a self-fulfilling problem because what if you do all this work, you're literally putting your startup at risk. So it's like, it's a problem where we've seen campaigns just not hit the levels they want because that barrier has just been so high. So.
0: So when you say someone's leaving Kickstarter, then are they are they going to a place like Indiegogo? If that even I don't even know. I'm not I'm not paying attention yeah. to the space. Are they they what, what what else are they doing if they're not launching on Kickstarter?
1: So if you're not launching on Kickstarter, um, Indiegogo is like is like their little brother. So that's definitely a good possibility if it's a product fit. Um, but typically, what what we do is we help people decide whether the the crowdfunding model is right for them, or if they just want to take a, le- a less risky approach and go to their own website. So we end up uh, having a conversation with people who are like, "Look, are you? If you're not Kickstarter, um, let's launch you on Shopify." Or even go straight to Amazon, but typically for us, like we do brand building on Shopify. Yeah, if not,
0: yeah, and I, and I think that's the the way to go. And what we, you and I were talking about, uh, for for a lot of brands, a lot of companies, you and I were talking before we hit record. You're working with a number of brands where they've built their business on Amazon. They're eighty to ninety percent Amazon. Now they're wanting to build off of Amazon, and so in that case, you could look at something Kickstarter related, but but likely Shopify. So I want to spend a little bit of time there because. There was a period of time in, in OMG's growth where our agency, we were getting a ton of leads of yeah. people who said, Hey, we're uh, you know, two million, three million, five million, whatever uh brand on Amazon, but we need to diversify. We're nervous of you know having all our eggs in the Amazon basket, so we want to launch on Shopify. That's not always that easy, though, right? There's like a different mindset, different pricing approach, different marketing model, different everything on Amazon versus your own store. So yeah. Um, how do you help an Amazon brand uh, or someone who's largely on Amazon, how do you help them achieve success off Amazon and how do you navigate kind of that Shopify versus uh, Kickstarter uh, discussion?
1: Oh my God, you've opened a can of worms here. Yeah, yes. All no, right, that makes
0: for good radio, good uh, podcasting there.
1: Amazon sellers are, and this is just a blanket um, statement, but the way to be successful on Amazon is have a good product. That has high enough search volume that you can use PPC to target certain keywords to get people who are what we call high intent. Um, who, for example, I go to Amazon because I'm looking for magnesium supplements. So I. Which are boyfriend. really
0: popular now, by the way. Like a yeah. couple of years ago, I never heard anybody talk about uh, magnesium. I'm a supplements guy. Like I take all kinds of crazy, magnesium. weird stuff that I experiment with. Exactly. But the magnesium train, like that, so that bandwagon, I should say, has really been picking up steam lately.
1: Yeah. So what, are, what are
0: what are the benefits? Why are you taking magnesium? Quick quick, uh, 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 side note here.
1: So I take magnesium um, because I train for triathlons. And I oh, find wow. that oh, my dang. muscles really tense up without magnesium. And so my, there's something about the magnesium that helps my body, like my muscles relax. And it's like, for example, I have this like chronic pain on my shoulder here when I'm biking for longer than 60 minutes. And for some reason, when I take magnesium... My muscles relax and I don't have that level of tension again. So crazy. So yeah. there
0: there you've heard it here, folks. Uh if you're training for a triathlon, get magnesium. So there it's, you go.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's that great for awesome. memory, great for sleep. I mean there's but there's also different kinds of magnesium depending on the purpose you want. Um
0: Yeah, that's what I've seen. We've got we got a couple of big things of it. Um my wife bought some for our daughters, which has a special purpose. I don't know what it is, but yeah. I've taken a little bit of it. and it also seems like I have a like a bit of a, bit of a calming effect as well, potentially. So
1: yeah, yeah. awesome.
0: Yeah. well, people didn't tune in to hear us talk about magnesium, but fun little I've uh, loved that little rabbit. rabbit trail there, so that that's good. But uh, but yeah, so you're talking about, yes, yeah, someone who sells on Amazon, they're dependent on search volume right? Is that still how people uh, discover products on amazon? it's it's by search. Yeah. And so people go to Amazon searching for something. So you mentioned going there for magnesium. So I'll let you pick up the story there.
1: I go to Amazon. I search magnesium supplements for athletes or whatever. And it takes me to 10 pages. I scroll through the first five listings. I look at reviews, et cetera. I look at ingredients and I decide. That's someone who's called it's high intention because I'm going there for something very specific, typing in keywords, finding a product based on ads and purchasing it because of social proof. That's it. The seller on Amazon, generally, unless if you have a backup strategy, you're not collecting the customer information. You have no relationship with the customer. Potentially, this magnesium supplement is something that's not even a custom formula that you've created. It can potentially be white label that you've just slapped your own label on, and it's a commoditized product. There's no differentiation outside of that. Not all Amazon products are like that, of course, but that's typically what I see. The Shopify seller typically where they thrive is you can't just and this is why i kind of have beef with a lot of drop shipping products because drop shipping products are just one of a thousand that everyone else is selling and there's no differentiation yep so the first thing we need to look at in terms of getting success on amazon is how have you differentiated yourself Shopify products are very different because it's direct to consumer, meaning you need to sell based on a relationship. So you're starting to build your email list. You're starting to differentiate yourself through focusing on a specific customer, through um, like helping feel people emote. What does that mean? Like getting people to feel something when they're using your product. There's like just a whole different kind of psychology that goes into it because it's really the difference between um, you ordering on Uber Eats, your dinner versus you going into a restaurant and getting served by, you know, having the relationship with the waiter and hearing about like the story of how the restaurant got started and the experience of it. It's like, am I making sense?
0: Totally. I, yeah, I, totally. Yeah. yeah. And what's what's really interesting. And and then we're, we're, we consult with a lot of Amazon brands as well, or people that, that are building yeah. brands on Amazon, off Amazon. And I think the really the path to success now, to regardless of where you're selling, is you've got to build a brand, right? You have to that's it. differentiate. There has to be some personality to your brand. And there's still money to be made just by you know succeeding off of all the search volumes on Amazon and people trusting Amazon and not knowing your brand. But really? I think that's short lived. And then I think it's really hard to then go off Amazon in that in that case. And yeah, uh, yeah. one thing I've I actually posted this on on Twitter earlier this year. I said, hey, if you, if you had to build a brand right now, would you start on Shopify or would you start on Amazon and why? And it was, like, heated, man. There was people. It was, like, 50-50 split. Yeah. People, you know, arguing, debating, and, you know, hurling insults at each other and gnashing of teeth and all kinds of stuff. Like, deciding like, which is better. Yeah. Um, but it really depends, I think, on what your skill set is. I think if you can build a brand on Shopify first and you can attract those customers and build a following yeah, and then go on Amazon, that's even better. But not everybody has that skill set. Um, but really, I think I think what you're also saying is, but if you do launch on Amazon first, you still got to build that brand building skill set to, to have any success off of Amazon.
1: Yeah, because I think there's really you can go both ways. But um, if it were me, I would do exactly what you said um launch on shopify and then go to amazon because if you're a new seller new product i want to understand if i have three star reviews on mm-hmm. my product i want to understand right. how much my customers love and kind of do a controlled experiment get that feedback and then go to amazon for round 2 because i have to make sure that yeah, i it right when you're reviews. there yeah. Yeah. and if you go to amazon with a subpar product and for a new product and you know that's listing goodbye three stars you're not selling anything mm-hmm.
0: Totally. Totally. So uh, that's awesome. So then as you're kind of having that discussion with somebody, um, when does it make sense for someone who's selling on Amazon to then use Kickstarter as one of their first things off Amazon? When does that make sense?
1: Yeah. So there's different levels. Um, The time where we've taken Amazon sellers to Kickstarter are twofold. One is when they already have a thriving Amazon business in one space and they decide to launch a new brand on Shopify. So they're starting for a, like a new brand and they want to launch it on Kickstarter. We did this with um, Kelly Waits where they were, you know, multiple seven figure seller in one space in like um, strength training and stuff like that. And then they launched fitness bangles for women. They wanted to create a brand around that. So they went to Shopify to launch that. Um, we did that with um, another Amazon seller who... Saw a new product market for, and I thought he was crazy when I first talked to him because he was launching a beard straightener for men,
0: beard and I was straightener. like, "Straightener, yeah. interesting." Okay. And, okay,
1: and being an Amazon seller, he was so ana- he's so analytical, and he was like, "Look, we've done the research. Uh, like, thousands of men buy women's hair straighteners to straighten their beard because there's nothing available." And so he like he sold me. I was like, "Okay, well, clearly I'm not your demographic," but he took well, like. He, again, had a thriving Amazon business and decided to go to Kickstarter to launch Aberlite Pro, the new beard brand. And so that's like case one. Amazon seller knows the ropes, wants to build a brand. We also have the other side where you have an Amazon seller that gets on Amazon and is ready and kind of is profitable, has it like kind of figured out. And wants to then become available on Shopify and they start to do a brand extension to start going multi-channel by building out their email list, their, you know, customer relations, getting super clear on their avatar, et cetera.
0: Nice. And so let, let's talk about that a little bit. The You know, you talked about the barrier to to getting launched on, on Kickstarter has gotten harder. So, yeah, uh, but let's say I'm, you know, I've got a brand and I'm launching a new product and I want to use Kickstarter what like what kind of email list am i needing to build what what kind of sales volume or interest volume am am i going to need to get kind of in that first you know one to two days or whatever the whatever that time frame is what what does that look like now
1: so if you're a new brand and you want to invest the money um we're working with a factory right now out of china that is building a north american brand super cool case study and i did the hard sell not to do kickstarter for them but they're like look We wanna raise two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. We have the capital. We wanna do Kickstarter. I was like, cool, all right, you've passed all the tests. Let's go. So getting them to do um quarter million dollars, we are building their list up to about ten to fifteen thousand people from zero.
0: From zero. From zero. Largely through Facebook ads, Instagram ads, things like that.
1: We're doing TikTok, Google, Facebook, but our top of funnel activities are gonna be your Facebook, Instagram. Um with remarketing but anyway so say 10 to 15,000 people on the list um, building a social media following with that and if we assume that our cost per lead is about $2.50 pre-launch for a qualified lead then that is going to yield us about um, like on the first 36 hours we want to be hitting about 20% of our overall goal so I don't know what the math like but
0: so so well 20% of of 250 is is uh, 50 yeah
1: yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah. Math is not my strong suit. Uh, <laughs>
0: calculators are for computers and, and all yeah, this. Stuff.
1: And I'm yeah. charging my phone. But yeah, that's like <laughs> yeah. we work backwards and we have like a full um, cash flow forecast that we essentially after doing a um, we'll do a market test before we onboard someone for a full launch. And based on that, we establish what the cost per lead is and then use that to build out a full like launch projection and a marketing budget. So you can say, all right, if you want to go for two hundred and fifty thousand for a raise, this is what your list has to be. These are the average conversions we're expecting, and this is what that expected like uh, investment is going to be. So
0: nice, nice, got it. Okay, so you're but man, that's that's pretty good though. So you're you're getting leads, you're getting email captures for like two dollars and fifty cents. Yeah. So you're spending you know forty k or whatever the case may be to get to get uh, fifteen thousand email addresses. And and that's enough then to kind of get you get you started on on Kickstarter, yes. And then really then then the Kickstarter machine, the algorithm, getting you know getting you listed and stuff. That's what takes takes care of the rest basically.
1: Yeah, and if you look at the breakdown of like a hundred percent of funds, um, at that volume, you're expecting Kickstarter's audience to give you about twenty to thirty percent of your total pledges. Okay. And then the rest come in from pre-launch. Um, if you're using an amplification service like Gelop to advertise your campaign to their backer audience, it's PR, it's influencers, it's word nice. of mouth, etc. What was
0: that? Uh, wait, what, what was that tool you just used? I'm not, I'm not familiar with that. Uh, one.
1: So Jell-Op is
0: Jell-Op? How do you spell that?
1: J E L L O P.
0: Got it. So that so you you can market your your launch on that, and then you get influencers and people they may. Grab a hold of that and start promoting and talking about it and stuff. So
1: I love Gelop because a the results just speak for themselves, but they are a marketing agency that specializes in Kickstarter launches. But the okay. difference is that where we are a marketing agency that helps people build up for a successful Kickstarter campaign by doing the pre-launch, the marketing. We are we like start the fire, and then Gelop is a great what I call an amplification service because in exchange for say fifteen percent of the pledges that they bring in they're going to take over as your like your facebook advertisers and market your project to their database um in exchange for a commission got it with that so we tend to because like um if you really look at how kickstarter marketing companies are built a lot of them take like and it's completely varies, but they'll take like 10 to 20% of your raise total because they're marketing your project to this huge backer community. And a lot of the big agencies have that. And I decided early on that I didn't want to be doing that. So we would rather just come in and help people start the fire and partner up with a company like jell during the launch if, if a company wants to take it to that next level.
0: Nice. Nice. Very cool. Yeah. Okay, great. Um. And then and then do you ever like do a combo where where you're doing some some stuff on Kickstarter, some stuff on Shopify? If so, what is what does that look like?
1: Ooh, yeah. So not at the same time. Um, Kickstarter is very clear that they can be the only place that you're selling Got them at. it. Got it. But what that will look like is if you do a Kickstarter launch, you can then after your 30 or 60 day campaign finishes, you can continue pre-orders on Shopify. Nice. Okay. Wanna do that?
0: Do you, are there times then when you just recommend, Hey, let's, let's just do a big pre-launch on Shopify and I know you don't get the, the boost of all the, you know, the, the, the eyeballs that are on Kickstarter. Maybe you can't use Joe up in that case and stuff, but, but when do you advise someone just to do, do your next product launch on Shopify, even if you're trying to get a lot of pre-orders and maybe even trying to fund the, the, the product development and stuff?
1: So yeah, great question. Um, the questions I ask to make sure if Kickstarter is the right fit for someone versus Shopify is the first step I look at is the product so more and more now um, you have to look and see if um, you're essentially launching products around like for the Kickstarter audience so because you're in large part needing to make sure that you're getting up a huge like 20 percent of your pledges come from Kickstarter so you should make sure it's a product fit for them so I look at that and if I'm like okay design projects, tech, gaming, um, those tend to be the big categories. So if it's a product fit and has a great track record on Kickstarter, Kickstarter can be an option. Cool. Question number two, um, what are you wanting to invest in doing a launch? Okay. So that's where when we looked at the numbers of, say, the factory that is okay spending $60,000, $70,000 Sixty thousand dollars, seventy thousand dollars in pre-launch between the right. video ad spend, marketing fees, etc., um, to yield two hundred and fifty thousand. They're willing to pay that price because they want the big social proof. They want the big list. But I tell that to eight out of ten entrepreneurs, and they can't stomach that. Right,
0: so, right. It's a big, it's a big yeah. investment because there's no guarantee you'll
1: uh-huh. build
0: the right size list. No guarantee. There's no guarantee it'll get funded. So it's it's a pretty yeah. big chunk of capital to to put out there.
1: Yeah, so that's question number two is like, look, this is what it costs to go to Kickstarter. What kind of a launch do you want? And if they're like, that's my marketing. And is that, is that like, kind
0: of the normal? Is it like like 60K to launch on Kickstarter? I'm assuming you can probably do it for a little bit less, but what, what is kind of the, the threshold there to get launched on Kickstarter?
1: If we say the average that you want to go for is six figures, assume you're going to put in about 40 if you're starting okay. from zero.
0: Yeah. Got it. Got it. Okay.
1: And some Got people it. are like, cool, I have investors ready to go. Um, but if you're that Shopify brand that you're serious, but you would rather have a smaller launch, then what I would advise you do is instead of spending 40 k building up an email list that you can't convert for three months as you're building up. And if you want to go straight to Shopify and spend your money to get orders right away, then we recommend that you do a smaller controlled launch and do a pre-order campaign on your own website.
0: Got it. At that point. And then how do, any tips or suggestions... Or Shopify plugins or something to make that that pre-order successful because there just there are some people that don't like to do pre-orders but but are you sort of positioning like this like you would a Kickstarter launch and try to build a ton of excitement around it but you're just you're you're doing it all through Shopify instead of Kickstarter.
1: So a couple ways you can do that. Um, it's less about the apps you use unless if you want to stage a crowdfunding campaign on your own website. Um, there's an app called Crowdfunder on Shopify that you can use. Um, So that is a good one. We typically haven't replicated crowdfunding on Shopify sites. Just I don't know why we just haven't. But um, the typical I I think that there's more flexibility with your Shopify launch. So um, we just finished one where we had a $20,000 first month for a baby product. Now we decided after doing market testing with Movi that we didn't want to go to Kickstarter because Um, It's a baby product for newborns that can only be used in the first 12 months of life. And when we look at the Kickstarter demographic, it's just too narrow of a niche to get the volume that we would hope on Kickstarter. And if Movi had gone to Kickstarter, they would have ended up driving 95% of the sales. So at that point, they're like, we would rather just launch on our own website.
0: That's great. So, yeah, so talk about that for a minute. Who is the Kickstarter demo? Does Does it skew? slightly male, uh, I know you said tech and, um, you know, electronics and stuff like that are are, are big there. Uh, yeah. what, what does that demographic look like?
1: Expect it's like 25 to 45-ish. They're early adopters, which can literally be anyone at this point. Yep. But 25 to 45, so you're looking at that millennial crowd. Um, you are looking at people who like gadgets, household, you're, it is a, like a, a split, um, more sixty forty these days of male female. Okay. Um, but when you look at is my project is my product even like a fit? I would just go to Kickstarter and t- in their search bar type in like okay watches. Oh, watches are a great category. Coffee maker. Oh, awesome. Diapers? Less.
0: Nope. <laughs> nope. Yeah. Who um, wants to fund the diaper? Like you, you want to wait till the last possible minute to buy diapers typically unless it's um like, you know, watching your baby for you or something. Uh, yeah. So so that totally makes sense.
1: So something that like they're products that can serve a wide market. Like there's um an insole that we worked with that helps with knee pain. They wanted to go to Kickstarter, but we're like, ah, I don't know if that's the, like the demographic. So we did a market test and turned out that we were right with their demographic. It was like 55 and up. People who suffer from knee osteoarthritis. Yep, and that's just too specific, and the demographics are just too old for us to old. I say old, but it's just too old for yeah, the totally Kickstarter get it. it's audience. Not, it's not to a fit. Like, it's not a match. It's just for not a fit. The millennials
0: so on Kickstarter. Yeah, yeah, got it exactly. Got it. Okay, cool. So what? Um, so so what are you doing to kind of overcome any any? So let, let's talk about it again. Launch or pre-orders on Shopify. What are you doing to overcome that resistance that some people have to to pre-ordering stuff?
1: Great question. So full transparency, number one. Um, yeah. It's really interesting because we have we had two launches like last month that were really good. And then one of the products keeps selling and the other stopped. And when I looked at the websites, uh, the big difference was transparency in shipping. So for some reason, one of the launches decided to not put a pending shipping date on their website while the other one did. And so when I was like, oh, I think I know what happened. You need to be to be very clear with people. Ships in July. So number one, you need to be upfront and yep. make sure that people know what to expect. Um, number two, don't start taking pre-orders until you are confident in your manufacturing timeline. And I mean like you, you started manufacturing or it's on a boat. Like you need to be confidently eight maximum 10 weeks away from being able to fulfill.
0: Got but it. That, so that, that's the that's the threshold. Any more than 8 to 10 weeks and not going to happen.
1: Yeah. Like we have um, one product right now that we keep pushing off the launch date because the, it's just like to get to that point where they're finally starting production. They're just like some like the sample has to be finalized or like there's one like little step before we can start production. And we're like, no, we need production to be locked in because the last thing you want is to have to tell people five times like really sorry customers were delayed again so if you could be as close to the process um better off to keep you know just get to market faster and stuff
0: yeah it really makes sense there was this this coffee maker that um was really successful i think it was on kickstarter and it's kind of unique like use centrifugal force to brew the coffee and you know you could program it and it connected with alexa and all these other things and i was so excited about it and um it'll it'll do like a pull shots of espresso or do a single cup of coffee or do a full pot of coffee like super Great. versatile but they kept having to push back the shift date like four or five times something I mean I'm just making up a number but it was a lot and people yeah. were losing their minds it was so unique so interesting that people some people were sticking around but a lot yeah. of people weren't and so yeah I think that I mean, that makes a lot of sense for most products people are not going to want to get the date pushed back any uh, no. but certainly not a few times so yeah, do this when you're confident uh, that you know what the ship date's going to be.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, but surprisingly, you don't get a lot of refunds, and this does nice. depend on you being good at communicating delays and how you deliver yeah. it, of course. But those are really and the... what are
0: me- you doing? To, like, are you are you discounting so that someone wants to buy now, and if so, how much to get someone to say, "Hey, you're you're doing a pre order. It's shipping, uh, you know, in in July or whenever," uh, but you get this. These perks, these benefits, these bonuses, these discounts—what does that usually look like?
1: So people need a reason to buy now, and so I think the pre-order offer is really important because why would I buy now when it's higher risk? It's supposed to wait. Exactly. So we like there's a couple things you could do. We typically do a larger discount than we would like typically expect. Um, you can get super fancy with this, but like one that we did for Movi was 20% off and we we kept it simple. Um, you could do things like offer a free accessory with all pre-orders, um, do something more of value to entice people to buy during a pre-order stage. Um, it's, it's slightly different from a Kickstarter sales strategy because on Kickstarter you have like the early bird rewards where you you have a 50 off door crasher special if you buy in the first day and then day two is a different offer and then like it's it, it's just different but i like having pre-orders say the first week you get a certain discount um etc
0: so you like even if it's on shopify you like making the offer the pre-launch offer a little bit different from week to week kind of to to again build some some urgency there
1: yeah, if you can do that. Otherwise, you will see like your sales are going to be big in the first week and then nothing for two or three weeks until like Mother's Day comes up and then you do another mm-hmm. sale and then yeah. your sales spike. People do need a reason to buy and your sales cycle will ebb and flow, but you can help people by giving a good pre-launch offer.
0: Very cool. Very cool. Um, That's awesome. Any Any other guidance or tips on, do I, you know, really focus on building with Shopify or building with, with Kickstarter? We covered a lot of ground, but any kind of final thoughts there or final tips?
1: If I were launching our next product, I would start on Shopify. I would build an audience. I would keep our costs down. I would do some paid ads. I would scale that way. And then after I have a bit of an audience, I would go to Kickstarter for product two, product three. That's what I would do. I wouldn't start with Kickstarter unless if I were a funded startup, had something truly unique um, and stuff. But I prefer just to go direct and ask for the sale because when you close and you ask people to buy your product, that's when you're going to get the most objections. That's when the most learning happens. And that's, I think, how you're quickly able to figure out how to make something work as opposed to a slow build of a Kickstarter in the beginning.
0: Yeah, I really like that. And and where I've seen it successful. And again, we we don't we're not involved in Kickstarter campaigns, but have had a few clients who very established, you know, multiple seven figure, eight figure brands, but they they launch a new product and they've got a huge audience and a huge following and they want to do the Kickstarter thing, right? It creates a buzz, it creates Great. excitement, they get yeah. some funding and and that works, right? But they've got, you know, a hundred thousand person on an email list or whatever, and so they can just they can make it happen. Do that yeah. pretty easily. Yeah. Totally makes sense. Awesome. So Kirsten, if people are listening to this and they say, man, I want to know what launch and scale can do for me, I want to know what Kirsten and team can do, talk a little bit about your agency, what you guys offer, and then, you know, how people can get in touch with you.
1: Yeah. So we are full service agency. What I mean by that is we hyper focus on early stage brand building. So If you are a seven-figure Amazon seller and you want to get stuff to work on your Shopify site, we specialize in helping you figure out how to get the fire going. So we do it through paid ads, conversion rate optimization, and email marketing to essentially handle all sides of the funnel so that we can start to build your audience um, and go from there. So uh, that's number one. And if you're looking for more like mentorship, et cetera, we do have online programs to help
0: with. Nice too it is all of that available to kind of learn more discover at launchandscale.co yes the it groups is as well okay. Yep, yeah, you got it sweet is that like the product launch pad is that the the training
1: yeah product launch pad is our um and we actually have a one dollar trial on that, Look at that. one, $1 day drive beat before it. you buy it's a no-brainer deal but um but yeah, we find like our sweet spot is agency when we work with founders who are serious about building brands. Um I absolutely love it. So we work with yeah. all kinds of products. It's super awesome.
0: That is a ton of fun. And um and you got a podcast as well, right? Are you still are you still podcasting or are you did you switch to to the YouTube's?
1: Um so the podcast is more where we YouTube is number one, and we end up publishing most of the audio to the.
0: Got it, got it, got it. So you're, you 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 creep for YouTube first, and then the
1: YouTube's you, not baby, you, uh, yeah.
0: Got it, got right. it. Excellent. Any any YouTube tips for the the people at home? Because I know there's some brands I do hear this more now, where you know people are wanting to. I just I just opened your uh, your YouTube yeah. channel, so I just heard you uh, come through the computer here. But um, any tips on YouTube? Like someone you know, brands want to build their presence on on YouTube organic. Any any tips or suggestions there?
1: YouTube Shorts.
0: YouTube for, Shorts. video.
1: Probably I don't Actually, this is a question for, almost a question for you, but yeah, we get there. most of our traffic from YouTube because we go heavy into search volume and SEO. So if you are a brand, some of the easiest and best content you can do is being where people are searching for. So probably my best YouTube tip is like, if you are... We're we're launching a product to help women with bladder incontinence. So if she can create videos on what is bladder incontinence, yep. best tips for bladder incontinence, pelvic floor exercises, four. So what I'm doing is I'm looking at the problem my product solves and getting into the mind of my customer to think like, what are some things that content they're searching for to solve that problem? And by you building a content strategy and videos that answer that question on YouTube, you are able to get in front of them. That's probably, I love YouTube so much because you can essentially plug yourself into where people are by being smart with search, as opposed to TikTok, which is more trends and lifestyle things. I think that there's like, if you want predictable traffic, getting onto the YouTube bandwagon is probably like the best thing um but i actually don't know if you can answer this but like our long form videos we have the um like the keyword research and titles like we've we're kind of figuring that out and that that's good for us but short form videos do those play heavily into seo these days with that search intent
0: yes that's a great question uh the short answer is i'm not sure so i'm, I'm a youtube ads guy uh i understand yeah. organic to a certain degree but i lean on Uh, friends like Liz Germain who's been on the podcast a couple of times yeah Uh, I know for us we uh, I've been posting YouTube shorts mostly just clips from the podcast or clips from me speaking at events yeah they've done pretty well they've done pretty well on on YouTube shorts Um, I do love the fact that YouTube organic grows over time and one video can you know be better a year from now than it is today even and still generate leads and stuff where you know, there are very few things probably that have the, the, the rapid scale potential that's available, you know, the viral factor that, that's there with TikTok, but it's usually kind of a flash in the pan, right? You got to keep cranking out content all the time. Yeah. So um, uh, what, what I've heard, though, is you kind of need to do both, right? The long form content and some of that's going to be keyword optimized where it's showing up in search. Yeah. Uh, other content where you just you're following kind of a series of ideas. And so then it's showing up in the recommendations engine. And then you pull yeah. from all of that to create shorts, and then the shorts can kind of feed everything. So that's kind of my understanding. Yeah. But but again, I'm, I'm just kind of saying what other people have taught me. I'm not, a, I'm not a, an expert on YouTube organic.
1: Yeah. I think this is definitely do your research. But I saw, you know, Neil Patel. He's the SEO guy. He is um, the
0: SEO guy, no doubt.
1: I did see a short about how, like, when you start to type in things in Google, short form videos are starting to show up as... Um, as answers to that. So interesting.
0: actually interesting. Yeah. So, so it, shorts are showing up in the in the search. Yeah. I mean it makes sense, right? Especially if yeah. you're answering your a question, if I get that question answered in under sixty seconds, that's better yeah. than watching a full, you know, four minute video or something. Even though Google's getting pretty good at like just saying, hey, your answer is like starting at this point of the video and they'll just show you that. Which is but great. I love the idea that, that shorts can be answers to questions as well. Which so
1: means from that I would assume that having SEO in your short strategy is probably the best way to get qualified traffic because like yep. our best customers come when they're searching for something. So like we have um, a client who is doing so well on YouTube, shorts, et cetera, but she sells a mindfulness journal. And that is, she can easily tap into like, what is mindfulness? Breathing tips for meditation. She can like, whatever it is that her target audience is searching for, she can build content around that, show up in their feed, They find out she has a journal, they buy the journal. And it's just, it's, those are probably the best leads because you end up nurturing and qualifying through your content as opposed to like dancing on video on TikTok. And they're like, oh, wait, you sell journals? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Or
0: they don't even notice, they don't even notice your name or anything, right? They just see you dancing and and they're entertained, but that's it.
1: Like I love TikTok, but in terms of search intent and getting organic traffic through a good content strategy that's like probably where we really shine with that
0: yeah makes sense makes sense cool so you can find it all out and more at launchandscale.co uh kirsten has been a ton of fun uh really enjoyed it thanks for taking the time and uh until we do this again
1: i know well thank you for your time this was awesome
0: absolutely and thank you for tuning in as always we'd love to hear from you so give us feedback on this episode give us feedback on the show In general, we'd love to get that five-star review on iTunes if you feel like we've earned it. And with that, until next time, thank you for listening. At OMG Commerce, we accelerate growth for some of the most loved brands in e-commerce, like Boom, Native, True Earth, Overtone, and dozens more. If your Google and YouTube ad performance isn't where it should be, if you're struggling with Performance Max, or if you're not scaling like you'd like on Amazon, then we have two ways to help. One, we have amazing resources that are free for the taking, like our top YouTube ads guide with lots of examples, our Pmax checklist, or our Amazon DSP roadmap, plus many more. Or hit us up for a free strategy Session. So go on over to omgcommerce.com and click on Let's Talk to request that free strategy session, or click on Resources and Guides and pick the guide that's right for you. And now back to the show.